This morning, uh, before we get into our, our scripture, uh, and if you guys need a Bible, if you guys don't have one, you're visiting with us today, there are Bibles on our back table in the corner. You can uh, follow along with us. Uh, but before we get into it, we're going to be in Psalm 73, so you guys can turn there into uh, the scriptures. Uh, we're going to spend our time there. Um, as you know, many of the times that I've uh, preached here, I've been in the Psalms. I love the Psalms, um, a lot of the songs that we even sing, even this morning, God my rock, comes from the Psalms. Um, and we're actually going to look at a portion in Psalm 73 here where the, the psalmist actually says those words, God, you are the strength of my heart. Um, it's such a fitting uh, song that we've been singing um, as we listen to those words and sing them to the Lord. Um, this morning we're going to look at why, why do we say those things? Why do, why do we do that? But before we get into the word, let's uh, open up in prayer. Father, we thank you this morning, Lord. I thank you for the, the mighty privilege it is to speak before your people, Lord. Thank you. You are so good. There is, there is no one like you, Father. This morning, as your spirit is here in this place with us, that you would give us ears to hear, Father, that your word would penetrate our hearts, that it would not just be mere words, but as we have just looked at and talked about with the catechism, this is truth. This is truth, and it impacts our life. It makes a difference. And Father, we need help living it out in our lives because we stumble, we fall, our flesh is weak. But God, you are the strength of our hearts. Be with us this morning, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So Psalm 73, if you are there, the psalmist says, uh, the, the label for this psalm is God is my strength and portion forever. And it is a psalm of Asaph. And many of the psalms that we read are from David and some other people, and there are 12 psalms attributed to the man named Asaph. And to get an idea of what he's talking about here, the, we need to understand a little bit about his background of who he is. Why this is such an important thing to him. What, what, what is his background? Where is he coming from? Why does he have these words for us today? So in 1 Chronicles 6, um, in 1 Chronicles 6, in the beginning, it talks about the lineage of the tribe of Levi. Uh, the Levites were where the priests came from, the musicians. And so it is here that it tells us that Asaph... Asaph, I'm going to mix that up quite a few times. Um, but Asaph was from the tribe of Levi in 1 Chronicles 6, verse 31. It says, These are the men whom David put in charge of the service of song in the house of the Lord after the ark rested there. They ministered with song before the tabernacle of the tent of meeting until Solomon built the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. And they performed their service according to their order. And then down to verse 39. And his brother Asaph, who stood on his right hand, namely Asaph, the son of Barakiah, son of Shemaiah. He is listed among the men that David appointed to be a minister before the tabernacle, the tent of meeting. As you know, in David's time, they had the Ark of the Covenant. It was the Levites who would carry it. All right, they were moving around from place to place. They would have a temporary dwelling place 
for the Ark of the Covenant, which contained the Ten Commandments, the two stone tablets that were given to Moses. Um, and it was a big thing. It was where God rested. It was where his presence was. And that's uh, very important to the Israelite people. It was very important to David. And so when David settled down, when they came to this place, they had this tabernacle that God had set out. This is what needs to be done. It was very um, opulent. It was very, there was gold, there was jewels, there was, it was, it was amazing. And it was all to glorify God. And Asaph is among this. In 1 Chronicles 16, 4 and 5, it says, Then he appointed some of the Levites as ministers before the ark of the Lord to invoke, to thank, to praise the Lord, the God of Israel. Asaph was the chief. And then later on in verse 16, David also commanded the chiefs of the Levites to appoint their brothers as the singers who would should play loudly on musical instruments, on harps, on lyres, and cymbals to raise sounds of joy. So the Levites appointed Heman, the son of Joel, and of his brothers, Asaph, the son of Berechiah. Asaph, he's a minister before the ark. He served under the reign of David, and he has an important job to do. It's from his family line that comes down that... It is most like a minstrel choir. Many of them are musicians, almost like a guild, where this is what they do. This is what they, they make music to the Lord. In 1 Chronicles 25, it said, David and the chiefs of the service also set apart for the service the sons of Asaph and of Heman and of Jaduthan, who prophesied with lyres, with harps, and with cymbals. The list of those who did the work and their duties was... Of the sons of Asaph, Zakur, Joseph, Nethaniah, and Asherah, sons of Asaph, under the direction of Asaph, who prophesied under the direction of the king. So he's, he's a musician. He sings with his words. He plays with musical instruments to glorify God. And it says they use this to prophesy before the Lord. So he's a musician. He's a seer. And it's all to glory to God. He served under David, and he also served under King Solomon. David wasn't allowed to build the temple. All right, God said, you will not be the one to build my temple with all of the bloodshed that is on his hands. He said, it will go to your son Solomon. He will be the one that will build my house. And so under Solomon, at the dedication of the temple in 2 Chronicles chapter 5, Verses 12 through 14, it says this. It says, And all the Levitical singers, Asaph, Heman, and Jaduthan, their sons and kinsmen, arraigned in fine linen with cymbals, harps, and lyres, stood east of the altar with 120 priests who were trumpeteers. And it was the duty of the trumpeteers and singers to make themselves heard in unison in praise and thanksgiving to the Lord. This is a man who has dedicated his life to the Lord. He was set apart to be a minister in music, in uh, song, in musical instruments. And so what he has to say is very important. In Psalm 73, to know what his history is, to know where he comes from, what his mindset is, to be praising God, to be before him, 
to be making music before the congregation as people come in. He's proud of that. He enjoys that. It's a great privilege and an honor. But in Psalm 73, what happens is this man gives us an insight into the inner workings of his thoughts. And I'm sure that what he has to say will resonate with many of us. I know it resonated with me when I read it. Because it's something that we wonder. It's something that is on our minds as we go about. Do I continue to serve God? Do I continue to move on? Is it worth it? Is it really worth it? All the pain, all the hardship, when I see everything else going on around me, is it really worth it to dedicate my life in service to God? He's going to talk about that. So let us look at Psalm 73, if you are there. It begins in verse 1. It says, Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. It says, But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. He starts off his psalm by letting us know where his heart is currently. He says, Truly God is good to Israel, to those that are clean in heart. I want, I want you guys to know that. To the hearers, to those that are listening, I want you guys to know God is good. What I'm about to say next comes from my own heart, my own thoughts. But after wrestling with this, after dealing with this, I want you to know first off, firsthand, God is good. God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. He is good. But he has this inner turmoil within him. He says, but as for me, my feet, they almost stumbled. As our feet take us, as he's walking, as he's serving the Lord, as he's singing before him, he's ministering. His sons are ministering as well. He said, as for me, my feet almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. All right, I some things that were going on inside me. I was envious of the arrogant. As I looked out, I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And he says, I'm perplexed. Why? Why is this happening? Why is this going on? I've served, I've served, I've served. And it's been hard. It hasn't been easy. But I look out, I see, look, these arrogant men, these arrogant people. And they're doing well. They're not having hardships. They're not having the same troubles. And that's what he goes on to tell us. He says, they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are flat, fat and sleek. They don't have the same worries. They don't have the same concerns. And this isn't just something that Asaph is, or Asaph is thinking about. This comes up time and time and time again in Scripture from the prophets, from people wondering, why God? Why? Job himself questions this when he was talking in his discussions with his friends as they came, Job is suffering. Why are these things happening to me? His friend said, one of them tells him, you know, well, things happen to those that are wicked, that are not upright, that are going on. And, and his response to, to his friend was, in Job 21.7, he says, why do the wicked, wicked live reach old age, and grow mighty in power. If God is really judging them for their wickedness, for their things, why does it seem this way? 
that they just continue to grow up. They just continue to get better and better. They continue to get more arrogant. In Jeremiah, the, the prophet Jeremiah deals with this too. In verse 12, 1, he says, Righteous are you, O Lord, when I complain to you. He knows. Lord, I don't understand everything that's going on, but I'm going to let you know what I don't understand, and I'm going to question you. He says, Yet I would plead my case before you. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all who are treacherous thrive? Why does that seem to be the case, God? Why, as I look out, Jeremiah, you know, the lamenting prophet, seeing all that is going on, why do the wicked keep getting stronger? Why do the wicked keep on gaining power? Why are they still able to do all that they are able to do? In Malachi chapter 2, verse 17, the discussion, the, the prophet says, he says, you have wearied the Lord with your words, talking uh, to the Israelite people. He says, but you say, how have we wearied him? How have we wearied the Lord? It says, by saying everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord. And he delights in them. Well, that's some strong words. God, everyone who does evil is good in your sight. You delight in them. Seriously? After all that the Lord has done, this is why it was wearisome to, to the Lord, the prophet is saying. He's saying, because you are saying these evil things that are not truth about God. He says, or by asking, where is God's justice? Where is the God of justice? And this is what Asaph is getting at as well as he sees, he's wondering himself, if God is just, why do the righteous suffer and the wicked prosper? Why is this the case? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Have you ever wondered why, as we look out into our world, why it is the way it is? Why do those that do evil, why do those people that continue, whether it's to sell drugs and amass fortunes, whether it's just to push down the poor and the needy and take advantage of them, whether it's corporations, as we've been looking at the minor prophets, as Pastor Jacob has been taking us through, some of the words against them is that you take advantage of the poor and needy. You don't care about them. You are only care about your own selfish desires. And yet they were prospering. They were prospering. They were prospering. But as we've been looking at, the, the minor prophets says, there will be a time that will be accounted for. To the faithful, he is saying, be patient. But our, our, our psalmist here goes into and, and, and says the same things that might be on our minds. If you look with me back at verse 4. It says, for they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mounts against the heavens and their tongues struts through the earth. When I look out upon my situation, Asaf is saying, when I look out and all that I see, whether it's people within the courts as he is, within the realm of being a musician, a psalmist, singing praises to the Lord, whether it's him looking out upon 
the people of Israel, whether it's him looking out upon the nations that surround Israel and aren't around them, he sees that the wicked are thriving, that it seems to be, it seems to be, they are doing well. They don't have the same concerns. They don't have the same types of issues that, that I have. All right? They have no pangs until death. They're not struggling with diseases. They're not struggling with problems that occur medically. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They're able to provide for themselves. They're just able to rest back and enjoy life. They are not in troubles as other are, and they are not stricken like the rest of mankind. They just seem carefree. They just seem like everything is going right for me. And that's what he says. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They, they wear it proudly. Look at me. Look at all that I have done. Look at all that I am doing, and it's going well for me. Violence covers them as a garland. It, their actions don't matter to them whether they trample on the poor and the needy, whether they take advantage of people, whatever the case may be, they revel in it. They are desiring of these things, and they think, I have not been brought to justice. There's, there's no punishment that has been meted out to me. There is nothing that has come against me. I can use my wealth to influence people. I can make people like me just by using my money, by throwing it around, whatever the case may be. Let's say, who's, who's going to account for this? Who's, who's going to stop me from doing what I am doing? It says, they scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. What is he saying? Well, if they don't get their way, well, I'll use force if I have to. Because I can. Because I'm able to. It's within the possibilities for me to do those things. And I'm going to be fine. I'm not going to worry. And that's why they say they set their mouths against the heavens. They, they look up and think, where are you? Whether it's taught, you know, if you do evil things as you're growing up, as you're teaching your kids to, to know right from wrong, to do what is right, even if nobody's looking, they're thinking to themselves, I've done wrong and nothing's, nothing's gone wrong. Where are you? What's going on? Are, am I going to be punished for what I am doing? No, you haven't done anything. You've... You've just been silent. And this is what the psalmist is struggling with. And this is what the other prophets, whether it was Jeremiah, whether it was Malachi talking to the, the Israelites, wondering, why is God silent? Why is he why is he allowed this to happen? It's much what our society says. Well, if God is so just, if God is so loving, if God is so merciful and compassionate, then why do all these bad things happen? The same in Asaf's day is the same in our day. The question still remains, where is the Lord? Where is he? What is he doing? Is he just sleeping? Does he not care about his people? But if you look at scripture, that, that's not true. We know he doesn't need rest. We know he doesn't slumber. We know that he sees all and he knows everything that is going on. But it doesn't quiet these thoughts in Asaph's mind. It doesn't quiet his mind to think, why, why, why? Verse 10, it says, Therefore his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. This is um, a, a very difficult verse uh, to look at in, in terms of what exactly is 
is going on. Um, I, I spent quite quite a bit of time looking at this and, and trying to figure it out for myself and, and many different commentaries, but uh, just listen to a couple of different versions of this. Uh, I'm reading out of the, the English Standard Version. And the English Standard Version says, Therefore his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. The NIV says, Therefore the people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. NASB says, therefore, as people return to this place and waters of abundance are drunk by them. King James, therefore, his people return hither and waters of a full cup are wrung out to them. There's varied translations concerning what exactly is going on. Even in, our, in the ESV, it says the probable reading, that the literal Hebrew, is the waters of a full cup are drained by them. What exactly is the psalmist meaning by this? And many people have ventured to take a guess, but many great minds still are unsure. In the Benson Commentary, he quotes a man who says, It seems impossible to ascertain, says Dr. Horn, with any degree of precision the meaning of this verse or to whom it relates. Some think it intends those people who resort to the company of the wicked because they find their temporal advantage by it. They're drawn in. They're drawn in by the temporal advantage of aligning themselves with these people that have amassed wealth and power and seem to be doing well for themselves. And even though they threaten oppression and violence covers them and they're prideful and they're proud, they say, we still want to be by this guy. We still want to be near him because maybe, maybe we'll get a little bit of what, what's going on. It says, while others are of the opinion that the people of God are meant who by continually revolving in their thoughts the subject here treated of, namely the prosperity of the wicked, much like Asaph is, is wondering. He's, he's a godly man. He's a man who has dedicated his life to the Lord, to singing music and playing music. But he's still plagued by these thoughts. And it says, are sore grieved by this, by the prosperity of the wicked, and enforced to shed tears in abundance. It's really quite unclear of what exactly is meant. It's not a definitive. Is it talking about the, the people around this man? It's talking about the people of God. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And I, and I think what, given the, the context of what Asaph is looking at, of himself looking out onto the world, being envious of the arrogant, the prosperity of the wicked, so I think it more denotes that people who see this, who are wondering, much like himself, they turn to them and say, because God has remained silent, and this is false thinking, but because God has remained silent, can we fault them? Can we say that there is anything that they are doing wrong? Because if they're not being brought to justice, if God is not meeting out punishment, if God is not bringing them to atonement for their sins, then how are we going to say, this is wrong, this is not right? Therefore, as people turn back to them and find no fault in them, and they say, how, verse 11, how can God know? How can He know? Is there knowledge in the Most High?
how can God know? If nothing is being done, how can he know? If he knew something, he would do something. That's their mindset. That's the mindset of, of Asaph right now, as he's telling us, as he's thinking about it. It might, may have even be, it may be our mindset even now. Is this what is really going on? God is silent. Does he really know what's going on? Is he really there? Is he really present? Is everything that we have been taught to know about him really true? Or have we been, been sold a false truth? This is what he is wrestling with. This is what he is saying. And the people who, who do this, the pride that they have, the violence that covers them, they know, hey, I'm just going to do what I'm continuing to do. I have no worries about what is going on. So Asaph says in verse 13, he says, All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. Have you ever thought that? Have you ever thought in your own mind as, as you purvey your life, as you look out over everything that has happened to you? From the time that you bowed your knee and called God, you called Jesus my Lord and Savior, where you said, I need you, I want you, you bowed your life before him, and you thought back after doing that, and did I do the right thing? Did I make the right choice? Is, is living right by God's truth really that important? Is it really that important to, to do? Because Asaph says, all in vain, all in vain have I kept my heart clean. It, all, it hasn't profited me one bit. This is a man who is deeply struggling right now. Deeply concerned, in, in despair. Concerned, he says, for all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked Every morning, for all the day long, I've been stricken and rebuked. I serve the Lord. I get back curses. I get back trouble. I get back rebukes. I'm stricken not like these wicked men, not like the men who don't care, who just live their lives, who seem happy and carefree and have much. I want to be like them. I want to have what they have. I want to do what they're doing. Forget the rules. Forget being obedient. Forget doing all those things. Let's live like they live. That's what he's saying. I've been there. I've thought those thoughts. When, when tragedy strikes or when things happen and, and you think, man, I've, I've served God. I've been faithful. I attend church. I read his word. I do all these things. And that's the thing that we're saying. I'm doing all of these things instead of really focusing on who he is, what he has done. It comes down to I'm doing all of this and I'm not getting anything out of it. Why am I doing this? Am I doing this for my own salvation, which Scripture says we can't do? It looks at the motives of our heart. It, it digs deep into us. Why are we doing the things that we do? In verse 15, he says this. He says, If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. He understands that this is, 
no small matter that given his position, given his authority before the people, his station of office within the Israelite nation to sing before God, he has an audience. If he were to openly come out and say all of these things that he was thinking, he says, I would have betrayed your generation. He knows that wasn't right. He knows this is something that I I need to wrestle with. I need to figure out. I need to understand before I just go off and and discuss these things with anybody and everybody without really knowing the answer. And we see that because he began this portion of Psalm 73 by saying, truly God is good. Truly God is good. I know this for a fact. This is what happened in my life. This is the place where I was at. This is what is going on. But God has brought me through. God has brought me through. And in Malachi again, Asaph is in despair. In Malachi, the, the Israelites as well seem to be the same. It says in verse uh, chapter 3, 13 through 15, it says, Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? You have said, it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? What profit is it? They're all asking themselves the same thing. Much of of what Asaph is saying, he says, And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. But in Isaiah 5, verse 20, it says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those that feel this way, that come to this conclusion, that after looking at these things and say, no, this is what how it is. Evil is good and good is evil. Why? Because it profited me nothing. Isaiah says, woe to those that feel that way. And Asaph has come to that understanding as well to know that. In verse 16, we hear we have a switch in verse 16 and 17, a a reorientation for him. It says, but when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. With all of these thoughts rolling around in my head to just sit back and it just continually pour over these things. Have you ever done that just to sit back? Something hard is in your life or difficult or different, and you just sit down or you're in your bed at night and you're laying down and your mind just won't shut off. It just won't go to sleep. It just You're continually thinking, well, 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 what about this? And what about this? And what if this happens? And what if they do this? And or what, what am I going to do? Or how am I going to act? Or whatever the case may be, that's what it is. He, He's struggling with this. It was a wearisome task. Almost, I don't want to deal with it. I, I don't. Why even? Why even go about doing this? Why continue to suffer? Why continue to think? All right. Should I be like the wicked? Should I remain faithful? Do I stay the course? Do Do I be enticed away? That is. That is what he is saying. It was a wearisome task. But then he says, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned 
their end. Until I went into the sanctuary of God. And I discerned their end. The issue here is when we look at life, we are looking through our own spectacles. We're looking through our own eyes. We're only seeing a small portion of what is going on. We're only getting few glimpses of the overall picture. And to us, it seems like everything is chaotic. Everything is just going bonkers. Evil is winning the fight. Evil is doing great and awesome. And here am I serving the Lord. And life is dreary. Life is hard. Life is tough. When I asking yourselves about raising your children, how am I going to raise them? Am I going to raise them in the knowledge of of the Lord? Well, what happens when they talk about it at school and people are picking on them? Or what do you do? What do you do? Till I went to the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. It says, verse 18, Truly you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. All right. He starts out with thinking, My legs almost stumbled. My legs almost went out from under me to think this this is the right way. This is the way I need to go. I need to be like them. I just give up and, and, and be like one of them. And he says, no. Coming into his sanctuary, being before the Lord, whether it was hearing the reading of God's word as it's being brought forth in the sanctuary, in the temple, whether it's being by his fellow musicians and hearing them sing their songs to God of how great he is and of his wondrous things, whether it's them honoring God as they're playing music, he's in the sanctuary of God. However it came about, God used it to reorient him to know what the truth is. And as we said, the truth is the truth, whether we believe it or not, whether we bow our knee to it or not, it still remains the truth. It hasn't changed just because we say no, just because we say we don't believe, just because people say there is no God, because he does not account for my wickedness, because I can do whatever I want and get away with it, that that's true. He says, truly you set them in slippery places, you make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. He's looking at, at the big picture. He's not looking through this small window of his own eyes, but he's looking at it in the grand scheme of things, of how God looks at things, and thinking, God, you are in control. You know these things. I know these things, but I'm, I've been doubtful of these things. I have been concerned with these things because I've been looking at my own life, thinking about my, my own feelings, how my life has gone, and I'm discouraged. I'm despair. I'm depressed. 
But God, coming before you in your house of worship, coming into your sanctuary and being encouraged and enlightened by the word of your truth, by gaining the understanding given by your spirit, I can know their end. I can see that even though they prosper in the here and now, even though everything seems that they are going right, Father, you've placed them on slippery slopes so that they fall in a moment's notice where they think their footing is sure because they're proud, they're arrogant, they've been wearing violence as a garment around them. As they're climbing the hill, it may be slick and slippery, but they're not thinking of that. They're thinking, I am going up this mountain, I am claiming this hill for myself, and I can do it because no one is going to stop me. And then all of a sudden, bam! Their feet are taken out from under them. They're tumbling. They're going down. They're going down hard. And he says, like a dream when one awakes. They're awakened to this knowledge when the Lord rouses himself. Like a, like a dream. All that they have experienced. All their prosperity. All of their oppression at the hands of other people. All of their prosperity at the hands of other people is washed out. It's gone. And it's as if it was a dream to them. That now their end, what they are suffering, is terror. It's complete and utter despair for themselves. They are destroyed in a moment. Like a dream when one awakes, when you rouse yourself, God, when you rouse yourself, when you act, you despise them as phantoms, as images, nothing. As if they are nothing. The psalmist, as he's thinking of these things, as he's reminded of these things, as he's discerned their bitter end. He takes a, a look back at his own heart. He then peers inward. He was peering outward. He was peering out at everyone that he was looking at, how they have been good, well, how they have been evil, but have been gaining good. And being given the information needed to say, no, the Lord is good, God is truth, remain in that. He looks inward on himself. Verse 21, he says, when my soul was embittered, when my soul was embittered, I was, I was bitter towards you, God, because you didn't act, you didn't move. I was bitter to you. When I was embittered in my soul, when I was pricked in heart, he says this, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast to you. He's thinking back of, with, with remorse, how could I have acted towards you in such this way? How can I have been so evil towards you, so brutish towards you, embittered, ignorant, of the truth. Not wanting to believe it. I was like a beast to you. Not caring 
about your perspective, not caring about your feelings, not caring about what you think of all of these things. I was just concerned with myself. I was concerned with me. And that is why I despaired. That is why I was the way I was. And it was not good that I was like that. And he tells us, he says, Nevertheless, in verse 23, Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. Despite my feelings, despite how I treated you, despite those things, Father, you stood by me. You were still there. You remained faithful. I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh, my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. He turned inward and on himself to think, I've treated you poorly, I've treated you with disregard, and yet you kept me. Yet you you saved me, yet you keep me because of who you are. Not because of, of what I've done or how I have acted, but simply because that is your character, that is who you are. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. He is brought back to the knowledge of God. In Psalm 37, in Psalm 37 um, is closely aligned with, with this psalm, and Psalm 37 is a psalm by David. And David gives some instructions about uh, the wicked, and about what it, what is going on. And so I'm going to read from a, a couple of verses from Psalm 37. But if you do have a chance, I would encourage you to, if you go home, to read the whole psalm in its entirety, entirety Psalm 37, to get all of it. But David, in his instruction, says in verse 1, Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. For they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. David wrestled with this. He understood. And he stood on the truth of the word of God. In verse 12 of the same psalm, it says, The wicked plots against the righteous, gnashes his teeth at them, but the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees that his day is coming. The Lord laughs to think, well, the wicked are just going about their thing. They think, hey, everything's good. I'm not going to be accounted for and God's in heaven, and he's laughing. Because he knows, he sees the day of their end. He knows what is coming. Verse 20, it says, But the wicked will perish. The enemies of the Lord are like the glory of the pastures. They vanish. Like smoke, they vanish away. What seems beautiful and resplendent as you look on upon a field, whether it's arrayed in all different colors and flowers, and the vestiges that it has in an instant, if a fire comes up, what? It's gone. 
That's what David is likening it to. The wicked, even though it seems beautiful now, in an instant it's gone. They will vanish away. Verse 23 says, The steps of a man are established by the Lord. He delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. This is what I believe that Asaph has been a part of. Though he stumbled, though he's considering these things, he was not cast headlong out. But the Lord held him there, had him, held him steady, held him fast to not fall completely. In Proverbs 3, tells us, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Do not be enticed by evil, but turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and a refreshment to your bones if you do these things. If you trust in the word of the Lord, if you carry this out, it will be done. Asaf said, my flesh and my heart may fail. God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. Psalm 119, verse 155 tells us, Salvation is far from the wicked, for they do not seek your statutes. They don't care about you, God. They don't care about your word. They don't care about anything that's going on. And Asaph rightly says, They shall perish. Those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. To those that have not bowed the knee to Christ will perish. They will be in terror God will cast them away and despise them as phantoms destroyed in a moment. But the psalmist concludes with verse 28 to say, But for me, it is good to be near God. For me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all of your works. It is good to be near God. This is, as we read this, as we look at it, as you look at it this week, he struggled. He really battled in his own mind. What is going on? If I would have spoke thus, I would have betrayed your generation. But I can speak now because I can tell you that when you have these thoughts, when you have these doubts, O Israel, when you have these doubts, O people of God, you can come to the same conclusion that I have come to because of God, because of who He is. And when I entered the sanctuary with that, when I came before Him, when I sought Him, it wasn't as if I just went on my way and despised God and thought, nope, I'm not going to serve Him any longer, but it was, I'm going to come before you, whether it is to question you, to understand you. But when I did, Father, you showed up. You gave me understanding. You gave me your spirit. And I can say thus, that for those that are experiencing the same thing, those that act the same way towards God, that are brutish, that are arrogant, that may despise him, 
because of this, because of his failure to act, know that it is not a failure to act. Know that they will be accounted for, even as we've been looking at the minor prophets. Their sins will be accounted for. It may not be immediate. It may not be right now. But he says when they come before God, when they come before him, judgment will be meted out. And God will cast those away who have been unfaithful to him. But those that are faithful, as he said, truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart, those that know and understand God. Psalm 24, 3-6 says, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him. Such is those that are pure in heart, that do not lift up their souls to another, that do not speak deceitfully, that do not go with the way that everyone else is going to think, well, I'm just going to be evil because they're prospering. But to know that despite our troubles, despite the, the things that are going on in our life, we still praise God, we still give Him glory, because He is still good. It is good to be near God. I have made Him my refuge, that I may tell of your works. He's been brought back to say as he had before he said all in vain I kept my heart clean I, my hands of an innocence he recants that to say it's good for me to be near you it's good for me to tell all of all of your works and that was his job that was as a musician as a singer it was to recount the works of God so that the people of Israel would not forget how good he is. It's the same for us, that when we read the scriptures, as we read his words, as we read his truth, to not forget who he is, to not be enticed away by evil things, but to remain on the solid foundation that is Christ Jesus, that he is our rock as we have been singing. God, my rock, sure, firm foundation, so that our feet don't slip away so that our feet don't fall out from underneath us as a psalmist, but that we, we can come to the conclusion, as he did, God remains good in everything. And I close with this. And Jesus telling his disciples in John 16, he's saying he is going to be leaving them soon. He says, I have said these things to you, that you may have peace, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. This is a temporary place. Temporary, despite all of its hardships, it's temporary. Our citizenship, Paul tells us, is in heaven. It's besides God. That is what we look forward to. The, the, the wicked, they may be prosperous for now. But this time is short. This time is is ending soon. But to spend eternity with God is far more important than to enjoy 
unabashed riches in the here and now. That is what he's telling us. Let's pray. The band can come forward. Father, we thank you this morning. Lord, as I was studying this psalm and looking at the heart of your servant, thinking back on, on my own life and thinking of how I had wrestled with these same thoughts, of wrestled with the same things, do I continue to serve you? Because it looks like all I get is trouble. Or do I, do I be enticed away to evil? Father, you are so good and so great. Father, you remind us. You reorient us to your perspective, to let go of our selfish desires, to let go of our sinful life, and to rest in the perfect life of your Son, Jesus Christ, who, who died in our place. Who, you placed your punishment upon him for our sins, that we can come to you, that we can know you truly to be truly called your sons and your daughters of the Most High, to be counted among the righteous, not because of our righteousness, but because of your son's righteousness placed upon us. And Father, this morning I pray that if there are any here that do not know you, Father, I pray that they would be pricked in heart this morning to consider the words of your servant Asaph. What shall I do? Serve the Lord or serve myself. Father, I pray that you would rend hearts to you this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name.